it's the end of the year as we know it, and we feel fine. Uh, I knew where you were going with that one. <laughs> What's up, Jer? Hey, it's it's already a, it's a whole new year. It feels like is it our? Uh, it, it sort of feels a lot like the last one so far, but but it's going to be a great one. It's going to be a great one. It is. We're going to put that into the universe. Faux show. Well, because we're going to make like a hundred episodes of these this year, buddy, and it's going to be amazing. And just knowing that that's ahead of us, like how could it not be a great year? That's true. I mean, we actually, yeah, since like just mathematically, we would make about a hundred of something episodes, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. That's a lot of editing. (laughs) So that's, so you're going to spend, you spend what, a couple hours per episode? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So let's, let's guesstimate you average in, including the short ones. So maybe you average in about the, if we're doing a hundred episodes, your, your overall average would be, let's call it hour and a half because the short ones take very little. Yeah. 150 hours. So that's like six and a half days of 2021. You will spend editing, listening to the dulcet tones of my voice. What can I say except (laughs) welcome? (laughs) Well, on behalf of at least myself, I I certainly appreciate every bit of what you do. And I think there's, you know, at least five people I could think of that are pretty appreciative of what you do. There absolutely is. There absolutely is. And what a lovely segue. I'm I'm impressed right now. So if you remember last week, we talked about we had something fun planned. Well, that something fun is this week we have the rebuttal episode. So what we have done is we have reached out, or actually more specifically, we had people reach out to us who took issue, had questions, thought we missed something along the year. Uh, And what we've done is we've actually pulled them in and asked them to tell us what we thought, what what we missed. Now, now JT, I don't know about you, but most of the rebuttals I received this year were in the form of all caps texts. Uh, That's exactly right. Uh, Not only that, but also clearly when it was happening, because I would get a text and then another text and then a follow-up text as they kept either thinking or continued to disagree, which was always fun. Yeah, yeah. Or like, how could you miss was definitely a a tone. Absolutely. But you know what? I I don't know about you. I loved getting those texts, even though half the time I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. It it, It just made me really invigorated with the content that knowing that like Especially you think about some of the episodes we did, which might have been a little, you know, triggering because uh, we all want to trigger people about their media preferences. But right. uh, <laughs> I, I like that, 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 that that's out there and that we're for having these conversations. And I don't know, it made me feel actually a lot closer with, each, with, with, the, with the friends who are giving me that kind of feedback. Yeah, absolutely agree. And listen, I mean, if, if anything that you wanted to be triggered about in 2020, I feel like movies is probably pretty good. <laughs> All right, Jer. So without further ado, let's hear where we were wrong this year from our loyal listeners. I can't wait. All right. So our very first guest is is Jeff. You've heard Jeff. This is the Billy Zane of, of, of the Lo-Fi Top 5. He comes up all the time. He's a background character. We're excited to have him here. Jeff, take it away. So um, it's great to be here with you guys because, you know, I've been referred to in the past as a uh, what did you call me? A delightful bonus or, uh, 
when we did the Iron Eagle episode <laughs> in the podcast with a delightful surprise or something. So I'm glad to be here as your New Year's delightful surprise today. Delightful feels right. I think that's the kind of word I would use to describe a friend. It's a delightful guest. Wow. It's delightful. Yeah. It's delightful to be here with you guys. I, uh, I, I have to be honest with you. Uh, you guys don't actually remember each other's movies from like the week before. So you're asked to us guests to to go back and remember your misses from like many lists past was a little a little I think asking asking a lot. So I took from your prior list from the miss a movie I think you missed that I think you saw in the last year. At least Jeremy did. I don't know if JT did. Um, so this is our your most recent lo-fi top. Five. Oh. This is startling as an entry. This is <laughs> this is impressive off the bat, Jeff. I'm very so so what you're saying is you know a movie I watched this year that I liked that I forgot to talk about on the most recent episode. So I believe that to be the case. I believe you watched this movie in the last year. And if you didn't, then two things are gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you you should have watched this movie in the last year. And two, it's just going to be my top five of movies I watched <laughs> in the last year. And we're just going to deal with that, except it's only going to be one. That's a fair deal. Do you think it is more likely that, I, that A, I haven't seen it at all, or B, I haven't seen it this year? I think it's more likely you have not seen it at all. All right. But I think we'll right, well, station at one point. So let's just go with it. Okay. So released in December of 2018 with a meta score of 83. Ooh. I will throw in a Rotten Tomatoes score of 97, just because I think oh. it's impressive. Wow. Runtime of one hour and 40 minutes, which is about the length of time it takes you guys to talk about 10 movies. So impressive <laughs> if they could tell a whole story in that time. And directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassarhelyi, although I might have butchered that name. My apologies, Elizabeth. I, I know what you're talking about, and you're right, but I'm going to let you keep going. Oh, good. Uh, the cast I, I, I is not going to give you anything. Uh, I'll give you Sonny McCandless and Tommy Caldwell. Um, should I keep going? Should I give you my five words? Let's do the five words, buddy. All right. Redefining what humans can do. Nice. Nice. Although I have, I have another five words if you want them. I think I think we should give it because we're gonna let the let let's see if JT can guess. And JT, we actually talked about this movie early on while uh, while starting off the cast, and there was one episode where it sort of could have twisted into the rules, uh, but we chose not to based on our very strict criteria of things. Jeff, you got the other five word. Greatest athletic accomplishment ever, ever. So, wow, there's a lot for me to react to. First, what a presumptive, I know a movie you watched, you forgot. I love that. That's like the deepest friend cut ever. <laughs> by the way, and he's right, straight up. And, and, and by the way, I was pretty sure I was. Would have absolutely been in my top five of the year. Like, no way I wouldn't have. So I'm going to guess, because I don't know what this is. I, have, I genuinely don't know. I think that the... I'm going to draft off of Jeremy saying it could have snuck in and we did a sport movie and this is now feeling like it's a tangential sport movie and I don't remember the name of it, but this is the rock climbing guy. Very good. 
Right. So the movie is Free Solo. Okay. The story of one uh, Alex Honnold, who is by far the uh, the best free solo climber ever. For those who don't know, free soloing means climbing a rock face with no ropes, no equipment. I think I have a chalk bag, but really with n- nothing below you. And it's the story of uh, one of the greatest accomplishments I think a human being has ever done, which was climbing the uh, free rider path up El Capitan. Um, and it is am- an amazing movie uh, put together by people who don't really make movies, uh, right? Jimmy Chin is a is is a guy who climbs who records his friends climbing, and these right. guys strung together a documentary that won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Picture in 2019, won seven Emmys for cinematography, sound mixing, editing, a, a slew of other um, categories, and it is just super cool and just a great great movie just just amazing redefining kind of what a documentary is um uh, what what athleticism is um it's about fear it's about accomplishment and uh it is about an event that literally redefined what people thought people could do jt did you see it no i didn't See, I remember when I did which i, I it's like may june it was like right in that late late spring early summertime and I remember saying to you, like, I remember texting you while watching it, like, OMG, you got to watch this thing. The uh, and, and on the biggest screen you have with the loudest volume you can, because as Jeff was just saying, like, it's a documentary that's not a documentary. It's, 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 it feels as much sports movie, like you were alluding to, as much thriller, uh, even a little, I mean, heck, there's even a little coming of ageness going on in this one. Right. And the cinematography, there's a love story, and the cinematography is just, stunning i mean it's it's not like anything uh most of us have ever seen you get this sense from the angles they use and this guy is hanging so so a a, a couple of trivia facts just to give context if i may to this amazing accomplishment uh so what makes it so special so alex honnold has was already arguably the best free soloist in the world he had free soloed lots and lots of 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 peaks uh rock faces faster than anyone else had this made him hands down the uh the the best ever and maybe one of the greatest human athletes ever he climbed uh el capitan a three thousand foot granite wall so to give you an idea that's a little over half a mile vertically it takes three to five days for a regular climber to climb it usually one to two days for skilled elite climbers to climb it with ropes Alex Honnold did it in three hours and 56 minutes. What? It's in. <laughs> That's about right. And by the way, watch it with Lennon. Like, like any age kid should be able to watch this. It's so inspiring. I watched it like I was crying my head off because seeing that like achievement of greatness. Uh, so, it, it's so beautiful. Right. I, one one more point, and then I'll and then I'll let you guys cut me or do whatever whatever you do. It's so one more point. What makes this the most incredible achievement uh, ever? Is like, look, we anyone who's a sports fan has seen records broken, you know, in the NFL, in the NHL, whatever whatever your sport is, right? And and it's it's exciting. It's the thing about this athletic accomplishment is that it is perfection or death. Right. Like you get this right and you break this record or, or not, like you don't walk away and 
for four hours, this guy hangs off the edge of a, of a cliff, literally climbing this wall choice between his next handhold, his net, next foothold, this next maneuver and, and, and never, never talking to his friend again, his girlfriend again. I mean, it, it is dramatic and it is awesome. It leans into the meme culture of, yeah, but did you die? Like the, it has that pretty, kind of. <laughs> pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. It's like, oh, you got the most home runs. And if you hadn't, would you have fallen off a cliff to your death in front of people you love? Because if not, yeah. it doesn't quite count. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other crazy thing. Like, Jeff, I don't know about you. When I was watching it, I knew from the beginning I pushed play you know, all the way till I rewound the video cassette at the end, like there was no question. We all knew he made it because he's been interviewed since. It's like, you're not, there's not, it's not really a spoiler in any way because it opens with him. Like at the, at the very beginning, it's, a, it's, it's already done, but yet you're watching it. And for some reason, the entire time you're like, Oh, he's going to miss this one. Oh, he's going to, Oh, and, and like that, that it's like a, a the ultimate right, left brain war happening. Right. Like, yeah, the, the, like you're at the edge of your seat. Right. The reason why I was pretty sure you saw it this year, by the way, is because it's available on Disney Plus. It's a Nat Geo uh, right. joint. So, as a big fan of the National Geographic, I had read about it in magazines for a year before the movie came out, but I didn't watch it until until the pandemic, and suddenly I got Disney Plus, and and there it was. And I and I was pretty sure, Jeremy, that you, you would watch it also. This this is. Um, absolutely worthwhile redefines you know um what what made this a spectacular thing people used to measure speed they used to measure if you were the first one to do uh to do an account to you know achieve something um this this wasn't either this 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 just raised the sport the idea of what people could do to a whole new level um they will have to remeasure everything against this accomplishment it's pretty neat this is a really this is a really dope entry like, I really like this. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. I love the idea. I love that the people who made it weren't filmmakers. I always think of like Taylor Steele. You know, Taylor Steele is the guy that like filmed the Momentum Generation who are surfers, right? Speaking of like, did you die? Those guys are crazy, right? So like when you think about like Rob Machado and Kelly Slater, the reason what they do when they did the documentary, the reason it was cool is because it was surfers telling the story that learned how to make film. It wasn't filmmakers telling the story. So it sounds neat. Like these guys had a real understanding and respect of the actual sport which is also just like a wild sport like oh i'm just gonna climb three thousand feet and maybe die and that's sort of like a tuesday which is really really weird that's a really weird hobby <laughs> and how you described it is sort of how they roll like this guy alex at one point is like yeah i'm just gonna go do this one right now and he just goes and does him out like just and he gets out of a van he lives and climbs in, he lives in a around. van Lives in a van right. down by the river. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, we need a mashup. We need the Matt Foley, Alex Hummel mashup. <laughs> by the way, the funniest thing, I, Jeff, I think I told you this and JTL, so I got one of those uh, pull-up bars just to try to do something at home and stretch out my shoulders. There's a scene in Free Solo, which I did not appreciate till after getting the pull-up bar, where he does these things, and I think he refers to them as, uh, as, as toe uh, um, finger hangs or tip hangs or something like that. He hangs by his fingertips. Like I, I struggle to do a few pull-ups. Like <laughs> I, I'm no master of the pull-up bar, uh, even though the pandemic should have given me ample opportunity to be, you know, as buff as <laughs> I'm just going to stop right there. Anyhow, this guy is 
insane. Like he's an insane athlete. Insane. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about, and so are all the camera, the film crew, they're all climbers. And the other thing, it's a great point that you brought up JT. They're also his buddies. Right. And so they're also recording and afraid he's going to fall Right and afraid that they will have placed a camera wrong or a drone's going to go in a wrong place and it's going to distract him. Yeah, wasn't that one of the things like light reflecting off the focal lens? Like they had to figure out every angle. Yeah, it's so even the filmmaking is 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 intense in its in its own way. Um, so anyway, that's my entry, and uh, I like it. Jeff, major perhaps because when JT and I were talking about this, we basically thought about last week's episode as the only one nobody could really kind of shoehorn in on because like, unless you happen to realize or be one of our buddies who mentioned the movie we saw earlier this year, that as I mentioned to JT was not on my profile, but on someone else's Disney Plus profile, it was not in my uh, viewing history. So great job, buddy. Yeah, I, this is the most meta Jeff introduction. This is the, this is the only way that Jeff could actually come on the podcast, having already been on the podcast basically multiple times. But to come in and be like, "Oh no, you guys did or, or should have watched a movie this year. You didn't." Feels perfectly appropriate. Yeah. So I look forward to I look forward to the next year of catching a lot more of your misses that even you don't realize you have made. <laughs> so our next participant is our good friend and wingman Darren. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so we're excited to have you here. Uh, Darren and I have known each other for a while, but more importantly, Darren is a huge movie fan and a loyal listener. So Darren, take it away. The floor is yours. Well, I just want to start off by saying I feel like I'm on the Mike and the Mad Dog of movie uh, bus. <laughs> I'm just so uh, great. Wait, wait, wait. Which, which, which of us is the Mad Dog? Oh, it's got to be you. Oh, boy. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, this, uh, the podcast that I, I listened to was, um, and I wanted to uh, refer to, was the one that you did on con men and heists. And it was really one of my favorite ones you did. It's a genre that's right up my alley. And um, whenever I found myself screaming at the audio... something that's important I say you guys missed it and I wanted you to have uh, uh, this movie so I will give you the release date which is December 25th 2002 the five word is boy dupes FBI and then gets adopted the Metacritic score is 75 Uh, the top rated movie is this uh is this with Edward Norton? No, it is not. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember um, what that was called. Yeah, the overall, that- the top-rated movie was 193. Uh, I'll give you a few of the actors, actresses. One of it's Jennifer Garner. Electra? Just kidding. Just kidding. No. One of my <laughs> all-time favorites is Christopher Walken. Wait. Wait, is, is this Catch Me If You Can? Yes, it is. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah, I guess the whole thing. Yeah, okay, go. I want to hear this. Um, so yeah, so there was my, I, I was 
to me, it, it just kind of fit right into heists. It fit into con men. It fit into everything, you know, some of the great actors. I love Amy Adams, Martin Sheen, James Brolin, um, and obviously the great Leonardo DiCaprio and, uh, and Tom Hanks. You know, so the, uh, I, I didn't know if you guys knew if it was a Broadway show. Oh, really? <laughs> it was a I didn't know that. Like, uh, like they made a musical out of it? Yes, they did a musical out of it, and it was very successful. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 96. Uh, I know that you guys love your, love your fun trivia. So um, the, there, there were four Oscar winners and one nominee were involved with the project. <laughs> the, the role of Hanratty was played by Tom Hanks, but was slated to go to James Gandolfini. But wow. the gangs of New York ran long. Leonardo had to stay on that shoot and Gandolfini needed to get back to the Sopranos. Oh, that's what? crazy. That would have been a totally different vibe. Yes, I thought so. Yeah. so the role of Frank Nagel Jr. was originally slated to be for Johnny Depp. Yeah, I knew Depp was supposed to do that. You know, I could, I think Depp could have pro, could have pulled it off in a, in a in an effective way. It wouldn't be the same, but I think he could have pulled it off. I don't, however, think I think Gandolfini would have just made it a much more intense movie. Like part of I think what works about this movie is it's light. You know, it, it's it, it's fun. It's it's a it's a it's a clever romp. What and I it's think very rewatchable. It is. What I think is interesting is I think Gandolfini would have been. I could see Gandolfini with Leo, but I could never see him with Depp. But I think I could see Depp with Hanks. But I don't know. That's weird. Gandolfini would have been different because Hanratty, I would, I would have loved to hear him do the Boston accent. <laughs> the funny thing is all I have in my head though right now is that uh, the impressionist Ross Marquand doing a Gandolfini impression. Of all <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. burn in there right now. <laughs> but uh you know, I think you're. It's it'd be interesting. The Depp Hanks comments also pretty pretty fair. Like I don't know. It's it's almost like they feel too close to each other in age. Whereas, like DiCaprio really felt younger than than Hanks. Even though I know Johnny Depp is actually younger, but he feels closer. If that makes any sense. Now, when you, you one of your choices, Jeremy was uh, Die Hard. At, and conceptualizing that as a heist movie was something that completely got me rethinking the entire genre of heist movies. Because you agreed with him, JT. You said I could kind of see how that fit in because it was clearly a heist movie. And I'm just like, well, wait a minute. So does that make Trading Places a heist movie? I mean, at the end, <laughs> uh, you know, Fun with Dick and Jane. I was just all over the place with with where you were after you mentioned Die Hard because it was like wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I threw Die Hard in there as sort of a fun discussion point, like, but but fundamental. I mean, it's it's sort of the red herring in the movie, of course, but like fundamentally, it's it is the the whole story is about this massive heist. Um, you know, Trading Places is an interesting one to say, and it's almost more the con, right? Like they've conned these two guys into thinking they're they're not what they are, but they're definitely in this kind of like, you know, little little bit of mind game. I guess maybe the the broader category of some mind game stuff. Although then we come back to FX, so I don't know where we go with that. <laughs> you just want to get FX on a list so bad. I always want FX on the list. Have you? Have... <laughs> but let's uh, let's come back. Let's come back to the pick here. Would um, 
But on the rewatchability, I, I just actually, JT and I were, uh, we were talking back in December, there was a day I threw it on as a background watch while I was just trying to crank through some documents. And it not only, like, it holds up in every way, although I will say I forgot that the opening is a little, um, I don't know, harsh. I don't know if you guys remember the opening scene, but they start in, like, the French prison system. Oh, that's And, right. like, uh, uh, DiCaprio looks like he's been beat up. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like where it then goes. It definitely starts you like, oh, I got some serious stuff going on here. It would be as if like Shawshank opened with the Queens or something. Right. <laughs> I thought it was initially that it opened up with the um, with the game show, but I think you're right that it. Opened oh, you are right. Oh, nice pull. No, oh, yeah. The opening scene is that, and then it moves into the the prison or or one or the other. Those yeah. are definitely yeah. You're, you're good call. I forgot about the the game show part. Yes. Well, such a good movie, by the way. Such a good movie. Good my name pick. is Frank William Agbignan. Yeah. I do think what's interesting is, like, I think a 75, I might actually think that's low. Like, I wonder why it's not rated better. Because when I think about Catch Me If You Can, so again, right, incredible cast, very well acted. Even, and Darren, I like the point you brought up, even the, some of the smaller parts, like you forget Sheen, Adams, they play like, you know, their on-screen time is less than 10 but like they really do play a pretty pivotal role and do a good job. I wonder why it's not considered a better movie. It feels like it should be. Rotten Tomatoes yeah, is 96. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. This, this feels like a, like a Metacritic. To me, this feels like a low 80s. This is like a 83 or something like that. Yeah, I, I would have it. That's Actually, that was my exact number. This feels like it definitely deserves to be in the 80s. I can 100% understand why it wouldn't be in the high 80s, but it definitely feels like 83. It feels like an 83. Yeah. Well, it's a fun pick, buddy. Yeah, I like this you, pick uh, a lot. Yeah, I, I love it. I love when our friends talk about movies that we love too, because it just makes it fun. Like, you know, there's this sort of like, it's like the shared universe. Like we all sort of get the same shtick and no, no one's bringing like Ernest Goes to Jail as the missing movie. Right. <laughs> Although that is a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> Excuse no. me, that's work. That was my alternative pick. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of alternative picks, before we let you go, I, I have to raise this. So I'm, I'm going to do something a little weird here where I'm going to reference another one of our guests who referenced not this movie, but Darren, I need you to hear this. Do you think The Big Lebowski should have been considered a top five heist movie? <laughs> Don't think I haven't thunk about it. I did not... I... Did not necessarily consider it a heist movie. It was it was more of a uh, a detective kind of old school noir type of movie. And I see how it would be considered a heist movie, but it was so much more into the in the buddy category movie because what made it great was the interactions between you know Walter and the dude and 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 all that. So I felt like the Big Lebowski's idea of like you know sending the empty briefcase and or trying to get the rug off of him. I wasn't sure if that was con man or heist. Well, All I right. mean, Dad, Darren gets to be my new best friend because what he said is basically what I said. <laughs> he said he, I think he said it a little better than I did, but I get the, uh, totally agreed. It's like, yeah, there's a heist going on, but that's not what this movie's about. While that right. may or may not be true, that rug really tied the room together. And this guy peed on it. <laughs> Are we allowed to say somebody has peed on something on this podcast, JT? We are now. <laughs> well, we'll find out after the edit. 
<laughs> we definitely are. All right, man, this is a great pick. Any, any uh, final words before we let you go? Oh, final words. I got a million final words, but the ones <laughs> I can think of right now are, are thank you for having me. I appreciated it more than you will ever know. I, I do have other movies here right now, but obviously I could just keep going on and on. I had all the list, but um, maybe we could do it off the, another time. <laughs> we will we'll definitely be it. doing this again. We'll definitely be doing this again. Thank you for joining us, my friend, and uh, keep listening. I definitely will. Thank you again so much for having me. All right, time to find out what else we missed in this uh, spectacular year of 2020. So uh, another, uh, let's say, colleague of mine, per se, uh, Jill, who is, all right, not colleague, but actually family, friend, and and self-described fangirl of the Lo-Fi Top 5. Yep, yep. Great to have you here, Jill. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> it's very exciting. Awesome. What uh, what episode did we uh, did we make a little slip up there? Okay, so I have two. So one doesn't really count as a slip up because it was the you know the stuff that you missed and or watched rewatched or for saw for the first time in 2020. But let's park that one for a second because I got to do the movie duos. Movie duos. Okay, I'm pumped. Movie duos. Okay, so movie duos. So we have. Um, 1961. Oh, old school. A Metacritic score of 73. Respectable. Yeah, totally. 61, a Metacritic 73. Okay. So I'm going to go into, I'm not going to give you the names of the actual duo because that will give it away. But I have Maureen O'Hara and Brian Keith. Okay. Written and directed by David Swift. Okay. Do we have your five? Do we do we have the five word? We do, but I'm wondering if before we go into those five words, I'm going to say that it has spawned three made-for-TV sequels and also a remake in 1988. Interesting. 1961, three sequels. Made for TV sequels in 1960. I, I don't know. I want the five words, I think. Uh, I yeah, for part, all that's in my head right now is like, is it like The Rescuers or something? But I don't think it's that. Chip and Dale would be either way, it'd be the craziest entry in this ever. Would have been really yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's, your, what's the five words? Let's hear it. Five words are summer camp, surprise, same same. Oh my God! It's the Parent Trap. Whoa! Oh my God! Wow. This is hysterical. <laughs> so, for those who don't know it, it's actually both characters played by Haley Mills, Susan and Sharon, are the twin sisters who find out that they were separated at birth. Oh my God! Wow. This is so good. But let me add, if you actually look up the word duo, one of the definitions says that they um, are two people who perform together. They're usually seen together or associated with each other. And to be fair, you can't really think of Sharon without thinking about Susan. This is so meta. (laughs) That's such a good one. That's such a good one. I thought there'd been a couple of remakes. Wasn't the 
Lindsay Lohan did this. She did the 1988 one, but the other ones were actually like direct to TV sequels. And there were three. Uh, Remember there was like one with the triplets that come out. Um, and that girl was on stage. No, by no, the Jill, I, I, I have to be honest, Jill, I have not watched all four made for TV sequels for some reason. They didn't quite float up past, uh, you know, maybe I'll watch that after watching Superman four and Jaws four. Absolutely. Hey, 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 Jaws 4, you got to see those all. You just got to watch those. Um, I did make a note here to say that this is, you know, at, at risk, like gender stereotypes. It is a little bit more of a, a girl flick, but like your daughters should watch this. And the original holds up. This is good. So Lohan's was 98, not 88, just because I remember oh. watching it just because she's still, a, she's my age. Um, I'm like 90% sure. No, it's fine. I I'm 90% sure. I remember, um, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen doing a version of this maybe for TV, but this also just, that's real life, dude. They're twins. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think they, I think also keep in mind, JT, there's a lot of these other, like not exactly this story, like vice versa, (laughs) like father, like son with like the body switcheroo shtick. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's a direct remake, but I remember there being an exact version. Like, literally, they just ripped this movie off with the Olsen twins. Although, that is a very funny joke because they are actually twins. So, that's I deserve that, by the way. <laughs> I, I never saw the Lohan version. Um, and for whatever reason, I feel like I'm pronouncing it more like Don't Mess With the Zohan than how her name is actually pronounced. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting that wrong. I think it's Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Lohan. Yeah. Uh, I can promise you that my wife has seen that version at least six times for sure. Like, yeah, there, I mean, as no we should, because they actually reprise the song from the original. Let's get together, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it in uh, in the Lindsay Lohan version. Also, you can cut that part from this uh, podcast, by the way. I most certainly will not. <laughs> That's staying in for sure. <laughs> Jill, uh, have you shown your daughter the original? Layla has seen the original, but she has an affinity for the remake. Oh, but she's seen the whole, has she seen the, all the, the, no. the pantheon of... No, don't be silly. The, the, the parent trap extended universe, per se? No, she has not. We stopped at Lindsay Lohan. Okay. I think that, is the dad Dennis Quaid? That's a Dennis Quaid dad, isn't it? That's right. I remember that movie. I actually have seen that for sure. Well, that's, that's definitely not baby Quaid, though. No, it's not Baby Quaid like breaking away Baby Quaid, but it's not old Quaid like now old Quaid, <laughs> like a dog's life or whatever. No, I guess or it's rookie, rookie Quaid. It's like it's rookie, rookie Quaid, Quaid probably. Yeah. yeah, Crazy Quaid isn't that what they're all called now? Just Crazy Quaids. That's his brother. Also right. a parent trap. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see them in a in a weird brother comedy duo setup kind of movie. I just like to see them at family dinner. Like Randy Quaid's wild. <laughs> they could pull off like an odd couple. By the way, that's one of the ones I have been waiting for someone to point out to us is we miss the odd couple, which would be a pretty good on-screen pairing. Yeah, but I did. I think I included Matthew and Lemon for Grumpy Old Men, though, which is basically the same thing, but older. Modern. Truth. Truth. <laughs> All right, Jill, then you were saying we missed something else. Is that right? So I, again, this is that like, it's a tricky one to say myth. So this is new to me in 2020. So not a new film, but was new to me in 2020. And I really enjoyed it. And I felt like this is one you guys should watch. Um, so this is December 20th, 2013. 
a Metacritic score of 65. So not quite Parent Trap, but still respectable. Yeah. So again, I'm not going to give you the two leads because I think that will tip you off. It might, it may not, as I was not familiar with this film. But we have a great cast. So Colin Farrell, Paul Giamatti. Wait, what year? Uh, 2013. Ah. Bradley Whitford. Oh, love Bradley Whitford. God bless the West Wing. Keep going. Love, love. Um, okay. And then I'll say directed by John Lee Hancock. Wow. How do I not know who's it? How have I not seen this movie? All right. Let's have the five word thing. Brit author arrives in Hollywood. 20 because we uh, we just binged through uh, episodes earlier this year which was a wonderful watch um i feel like i'm going to know this but don't is this starring um is this with emma thompson yes um i know the movie but i don't know it's like i know it but i don't know it and tom hanks uh oh this is the disney one uh this is saving mr banks Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, yes. man. That's a great movie. It was so good. So I had never heard of it. And it's the story of making Mary Poppins into a Disney film. Moved to tears. Like, I cried. I laughed. I was reminiscent of the original. So good. So clever. Lovely. And again, Brad Whitford's in it. And like great role for him. There's lots of airtime with him. It's a good role for him. There's the Sherman brothers are in it. It was so good. So good. Now we did make Layla watch it and then she bailed halfway through and got bored, but we agreed that the right thing to do was to go back and watch the original Mary Poppins, watch Mary Poppins returns, and then finish off with saving Mr. Banks. That will be our trilogy. There you go. Uh, JT, have you seen this one? I haven't, but I assume you had to have because of how much you love Mary Poppins. I've seen, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I saw this one in the theaters, actually. Uh, I, I remember waiting for this to come out. Uh, if you've ever, and it's on Spotify, if you haven't listened to the soundtrack or whatever, all the, the original soundtrack for Mary Poppins, there's a final track, which is an interview with the Sherman Brothers on doing all the music. I would highly, like... That could be your three and a half, Jill. Like that's like um, okay. Uh, the the podcast prepped before the whole thing would be listen to that music and then watch your trilogy because you actually hear them talking through how they came up with like Jim Chimari and all the different tunes that go along with it, which I'd argue is iconic to the movie. But JT, you absolutely have to watch it. It's it's beautifully done. And, and so it's, they say it's loosely based on a true story of the author, um, P.L. Travers. And so it mixes between her, like her backstory, her upbringing and her true life story, and then goes into the making of the film. So they like, you know, do the song and dance of a bunch of, a bunch of the songs from the film. Um, but like, there's like stuff in it. I remember there's this one scene where she's got this driver for the whole time she's in Hollywood and he's talking about his daughter who's in a wheelchair and her name is Jane. And I cried and I'm like, Oh, that's the, she named the little girl that they named the little girl in the movie after her. Like it was just so touching. And, and, and then like, then I was of course reading how much is true and how much is exaggerated. 
but they taped every one of her meetings in the studio because she wanted it all recorded. So at the end of the film, they play some of the recordings of her disputing and she like, she was against all of it. It took them like they said over 20 years to get the rights to the movie. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know any of this backstory. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, there's one other trivia. I think, first of all, it's Disney's first and only movie that shows any of the inner workings of Disney at all. They don't do that stuff. They're not, they're like the opposite of meta. Like they, they will like, it's like as Pixar has the A113 here, they're like, nope, thanks. Just go watch our stuff and come to our parks. I also think that they had to get special permission to, um, and, and maybe Tom Hanks might've been the only actor that they would allow to be Disney. Because oh. that was a really big deal for them. I don't remember all of the shtick about it, uh, but I remember reading at the time that it mattered to them so much because, like, for Disney, brand is everything. Right? So right. this movie had to hit all of those brand pillars that the company represents. Oh. Good pick, Joe. What made you watch it this year? Uh, came across it and was like, oh, what's this about? And, it like, we read, we started looking for something, and it was about Mary Poppins. And I thought, Oh, that might be interesting. And it's Tom Hanks. Like generally you can't go wrong with Tom Hanks um, and watched it. Yeah. So as I said, we were trying to find something that Layla would watch with us and then she left and yeah, we saw it through and I would watch it again. Nice. This is a great pick before we go though, Jeremy, you have or have not seen the updated Mary Poppins yet. I have not seen 2.0. Okay, so, because I've already weighed on this, Jill, as someone who liked the original, obviously, and have an affinity for it, how do you, should Jeremy see the new one, or should he just skip it entirely? You should see it because it doesn't compete with the original. It is um, a different take on it, and it still gives you the warm fuzzies. Now, I will say the song and dance is not, uh, it is not nearly as good as the original like you can't compete with that but the story is interesting like the story is it's like hook versus peter pan you wouldn't compare the two but it's a clever next stage story of a classic and that's what i would say about this one hook's a really good analogy that's a great analogy having seen both that is these that is spot on and emily blunt is lovely absolutely absolutely and then dick van dyke cameo in it also, yeah. like amazing. Yeah, it's great. I'm try- the only other comparison I can think of in my head is it's sort of like Wicked to Wizard of Oz. So I was just thinking that same thing, and I was like, "Is that yeah. the same?" And I, I get- totally, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to tell uh, you yeah. guys when when so I often listen to the podcast when I am running, and it screws up my pace all the time because <laughs> I stop and I text Jeremy things that you guys are trying to say or trying to think of. So I'll literally like stop in my track, pause my run and go, that's the answer. And I'm like laughing out loud by myself. I'm screaming. There was one episode I called Jeremy afterwards and I was like, it's Darlene's boyfriend. You guys had referenced what's his name from Rosie. Johnny Galecki. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. funny because that's the one I was going to bring up right now. I was like, yeah, what was the boyfriend thing again? <laughs> Not even lucky, right? Darlene's. Oh, no yeah. idea. I know who. I know who we're talking about now. Roughly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Perfect. All right, Jill. This was amazing. This is a great pick. This is an absolutely great pick, and we got a plus one, which feels totally on brand for this podcast. So this is great. Thanks for joining. We got like sort of a would you watch and a what you missed. All it's like a you know it might be like a twofer. This is a twofer. <laughs> well done. Thanks, guys. All right. 
Darren, our second Darren. We have we have people doing this. We have the two Darrens. So this is our second Darren. Darren is a, a listener, and Darren's got a rebuttal. Darren, take it away. Well, I have one that I I feel is was a was a clear miss on the top fives, at least for me, was on the on, on the soundtrack podcast uh, from uh, early on. It was one of the earlier podcasts, I believe. I don't know what number it was, but it was, it was early on in the uh, podcast uh, life there. And uh, my uh, my miss there, my first hint there, is this was a April fourth, nineteen eighty nine, with a whopping Metacritic score of 85 that's pretty good i i have a guess already but i want to i want to hear i want to hear where you go from here well this is definitely going to be in jeremy's wheelhouse because i was four <laughs> probably not probably not jt's um strong strong spot so jeremy may have it because i think jeremy and i are a little bit closer on the time frame and he, he may be onto something this one but i did have my my one little hint here, as you guys do on the podcast a lot, is my hint for this, without giving away some of the actors, was a writing utensil destroys a relationship? Question mark. Ooh, I oh, love that. A writing utensil destroys a relationship. This is good. <laughs> my yeah, my uh, I'll tell you. I originally thought you were about to say Good Morning Vietnam. I couldn't remember if that was '88 or '89, but I know it's right around there, and it's got a phenomenal soundtrack. But now a writing instrument. Pen is mightier than the sword, or the lyric. Maybe keep going. We got you. Got any little uh, little extra clues for us? Um, I had a couple other. I I uh, I wrote down a couple other um, of the actors, but I think that they will give them give it away. Um, the one one actor in it is uh, John Mahoney, and then we had Jeremy Piven also in the uh, movie. Oh, early Piven. early Jeremy Piven. Is this? Um... The uh, the say anything. I, I'm doing the gesture for, for those who are not watching the video podcast that doesn't exist. I'm doing the gesture of holding a boombox above my head. As it turns out, this is still an auditory medium. <laughs> so for everybody out there, I could totally see that Jeremy was reeling me in with the over the head boombox uh, visual, but that is in fact correct. The the the, the movie. And I know that you guys mentioned that uh, on your, you know, not your top five, but for me, like th this movie, Say Anything, was just such a huge part of my life in early college. Like this was my freshman year of college. Uh, you know, listen, I thought I was Lloyd Dobler. Like this was, <laughs> this was, this was really, uh, and I, the more I thought about it, I told Jeremy, I, I told Jeremy, I told JT that I was, I was really thinking about this last night and this was, this just kept coming over and over in my head. And uh, I really, I really, really enjoyed this movie. The, the music in the movie, as I was going back and looking at the soundtrack again today, just for research purposes to keep in, in with you and uh, you and JT, Jeremy, I, I was going back and looking at the soundtrack. I mean, there's, you got Cult of Personality by Living Color. You got Strip by Depeche Mode, Taste the Pain by Red Hot Chili Peppers. There's a couple of, deep deep cuts from Soundgarden like early Soundgarden that I don't even think made the official soundtrack but they're on the soundtrack that's on Metacritic it's and I think they're background noise at a couple parties but it's like it's it's the it's the music of my life then it was just so sure. interesting and I think that the other thing for me was that it was it really turned me on to a lot of music like I, Depeche Mode I had not really was not in my wheelhouse before that uh and it just kind of I 
I was more of a hard rock guy in the 80s, just anything that wasn't country growing up in middle Georgia. So um, this was, it was just very, a, a very uh, influential movie to me. I really, really, really liked the story. Obviously the story was, you know, romantic and whatever, but the, but the, the music in it was very uh, poignant to me too. To the point that my wife and I share a common interest in this, in this movie and that ultimately, um, in your eyes was the the song that we danced to at, at our wedding when we got wow. married. Wow. You we are both, Lloyd Dobler. <laughs> we, um, we both really loved the movie. Um, our first date, and I don't know if I told JT that our first date was uh, watching uh, Peter Gabriel on uh, Saturday Night Live in, wow. uh, in in 1993. He was he performed on uh, Saturday Night Live and and we uh, we watched him on that as as part of our first date. So it just became a really big uh Big thing, the, the movie and and the music. So that, not that you fully missed it, because I know that was on your extended list, uh, Jeremy. But I, that that was one that was keen for me. No, I, I think it's a I think it's a great choice. To me, that soundtrack's in that like late '80s, early '90s pantheon. It's like the Pretty Woman soundtrack, uh, Pump Up the Volume soundtrack. Uh, I ended up picking the singles one as my favorite of that kind of a batch. Where realistically, you have like one to two kind of hit breakaway songs. And the rest of it, you either love it because of the movie itself, or it just sort of is—it's just kind of good background music. But I think it's a—I think it's a fun pick, um, and it's probably the most iconic use of a song in that in that era by by a long shot. Yeah, they use it. I'm, if I'm not, I think they use it twice in the in the film. I think they use it with him, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's just the one big stereos, but I feel like it. I don't know if they just played it in the background in another scene. I, I, I may be misremembering that after 30 years. But, um, uh, no, that feels, that feels right. Question there. Can you do the Lloyd Dobler? Uh, uh, oh my gosh. I, I saw it in the, in the preview on, on Metacritic. And I was like, I never got that all down. That was another thing I was going to mention to you guys. Is like, there's so many moments, like every stop, you know, place that you go to get gas, is a gas and sip. Like his line from that movie when he comes out and he's talking to the, the idiots that are drinking beer out in the parking lot. He's like, he was like, yeah, you know, what are you doing here with the gas? Like I use gas and sip all the time. Like when we stop at a random place on a road trip, but let's stop at the gas and sip and get something to eat. So it's like, it, there's, there's moments like that, that are, uh, that, that are just iconic. And then, you know, he kicks the, he kicks the glass away from, so she doesn't step on the glass and, you know, a little bit before that scene. And then, then of course the, the, uh, you know, uh, I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen, which was my, you know, just my hint yeah. for a hint for you guys. It's just such a classic, classic. It's a good one. He's crying in the car. And uh, JT, where's this, where's this movie in your wheelhouse? So fan, definitely a fan. I mean, I, so I like, it's funny from this episode, my, one of my top five, I know it had to be, had, was high fidelity probably. Because High Fidelity is my version of wanting of, of thinking I'm going to be John Cusack. So I had this movie with John Cusack just 10 years later. Uh, I, I The only argument I would make... So first of all, I think Joe Satriani's on the soundtrack, which is yeah. awesome. Fish, Fishbone's on the soundtrack. They yeah. have like some pretty good stuff. Like this is it's a good a mix, soundtrack. Too, yeah. 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 Well, even Nancy, like, what, what is it? Nancy, uh, I, I wrote it down. Uh, the, there's a, one love song that's... Yeah, anyway, Nancy Wilson, I think. It's like the, the kind of the cover, the, the sound... The, the music that played over the, uh, I think it was the, over the. the it's called, uh, yeah, it's called All for Love by Nancy All Wilson. All for Love, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly nice. right. 
The only argument I would make is if, and I'm asking you guys because I don't, I don't, I didn't exist when this was actually a thing. So, what's more iconic? Is it this song? Is it Peter Gabriel here, or is it uh, Judd Nelson in Breakfast Club? Oh, for me, it's in your. For me, so personally, it's it's in yours. Yeah, are you saying the combo of John Cusack? playing say anything or judd nelson while uh don't forget don't you forget about me he's playing in the background yeah if there were like a big bracket if we were to make the bracket of iconic scene plus which by the way we, we should, should just officially do like let's just do that darren you should help welcome. out with that we need your help um i i think that the i think this is the more iconic one mostly because Breakfast Club is your kind of ensemble cast, and the 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 scene that where the music plays is that end, like the him walking out with a fist pump thing. It's like the end fade to black scene as opposed to a poignant moment in the movie. That would be That's my fair. take, Darren. What do you think? I just yeah, for me, and I think maybe just because it's so personally for me, you know, t- you know, touching to me because it just for me personally and my family is I, I agree with you because it's just, it's that moment in the movie where he's, he's desperate. He's trying to win her back. It's, it's that friends moment almost in the, the friends TV series where Ross comes back to kiss Rachel with the YouTube, YouTube play. You know, it's, it's that moment in the, in, in the, in the movie that, that draws, you know, it, it just, it ties that whole scene. And then ultimately really the movie together for me is that, that moment is, is him, him bringing her back in and making her realize she can't be without him. <laughs> it's interesting because like, I think in the zeitgeist, at least for my generation, I mean, breakfast club is clearly a more well, not regarded, but it's just like a more well-known movie. Like say anything. I think that scene is iconic, but the movie's not iconic. Whereas like the entire breakfast club movie is iconic. So I don't know. That's it's interesting. I, I think, I think, I think that's well, I think that's well said is that breakfast club is, is a, a more iconic as far as like um, like a zeitgeist, one of the big '80s movies. But I think for those of us who lived through the '80s, movies like Say Anything, or even to others, maybe Saint Almost Fire, or a bunch of these like the the, the Brat Pack kind of movies. Yeah. I think for each person, you probably have a different type of affiliation. Like oh, yeah. I have Can't a friend, Love Sixteen Can't Candles, Love yeah. Sixteen Candles. Like mm-hmm. whoever you've got has some something that that movie is like their big thing. Um, yeah, you can but, relate to it. I think I think that's just it. Like you can yeah. relate. I as as a nineteen year old when that movie came out could relate to being Lloyd Dobler. I you know like very real like. That's who I thought, you know, it kind of felt like that was me. I was like the friend guy, you know, that, that couldn't break through. And I was like trying to impress the dads and whatever, you know, like <laughs> I felt like I wasn't, you know, I, I had all these girlfriends like at, at the, uh, you know, at, at the uh, record store or the music store, you know, that I was confiding in like, no, you know, why, why doesn't this girl, like, you know, like I just felt like that was me, you know, like he was talking to me in that movie so much. It was just classic. That's great. But by the way, Darren, had you simply said Jeremy Piven, I had it from that. Um, oh, yeah. For whatever reason, I've seen all of the movies where he was like baby Jeremy Piven. And like, this is one of the ones that is like he's most known for because him and Cusack have been buddies since I want to say college or maybe even before. I think before. I think I also mispronounced Cusack. I got to go back and look at it and, and, and remember him in the movie. Like, I, like so it's that's. 
I, I haven't watched the movie in a long time. I think it, I shudder to say I may have it on VHS. I don't even know if I've got it on DVD. Like it's like I, from back from back in the day. So I can tell you definitively that I would not have gotten this until you got to Cusack. I don't remember Pippin being in this movie even remotely, not even remotely. Oh, it's worth finding. I'm sure we can find it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I'll find it. I'll find it. I love. Listen, I love Baby Piven. I like Adult Piven. I like Middle Piven. I'm a Piven guy. They're all good. But, but Darren, I, I want to see. I want to test you somewhat. I'm just going to push a little. Sure. Do your best from just your memory. Any bits of the career, the the, the Dobler career speech. <laughs> I don't want to. Anything you can remember. I don't want to make anything bother process processor or bought like he went through that whole shtick and then. I, the whole thing about him, like uh, the fight, the the kickboxing thing, like he, knew that he was such a uh, uh, he was so um, forward thinking that that was going to be the sport of the future. Kickboxing, sport of the future. I just want to like make sure that your daughter's going to be safe for the next seven to eight hours, sir. It's like this <laughs> classic. It's just so great. Just watching the trailer just brought a smile to my face. I wonder how much Dobler would be surprised at how much more prevalent uh, plastic got as a result <laughs> maybe yeah uh, the full quote by the way jt I, I, I had to pull it up in the background and by the way other other avid listener jeff i'm i believe does this quote like uh it, this is one of his movies too he, he, he's probably listening right now being like i like this darren guy yeah. uh, the quote is i don't want to sell anything buy anything or process anything as a career i don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold bought or processed or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. It's a good quote. It's a good it's quote. It's a great quote. Listen, great writing. It was great writing. It's a great. It's a great script. I want to, now I got to go look up who wrote that. I want to know. Oh, that's Cameron Crowe. But did he do all the dialogue? Yeah, I don't think he did the. I don't think he was full. I don't think he was. I, I don't know if he did all the writing either. But I like you know the uh, punch the, the the sequence with him and his little his kid brother where he's doing the punch to the body. I I did that with my kids. You know, when when I had, you know, we would we would do the little thing, and it, they all they probably had well they had no idea what movie it was from, but we we totally would use that, you know, uh, that little bit together when we talked about um, you know play fighting in the house or whatever. So yeah, it's a very kind of iconic movie to me. It it resonates as one of my, I mean that'd be one of my top top ten movies of all time. I just love that movie. That's great. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. It, listen, it's this was our sixteenth episode, which shows that you're like you're a long hauler. <laughs> like you've been here. Since I would have thought it was earlier than that, to be honest with you. So did I. I had to go back and look when you said that. I'm like, yeah, I would have thought this was first 10, but then I also forget we did the the decades thing, which took like 17 weeks. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of decades out there to go through. So many decades. Uh, this is a great pick. I like it. I'm also glad I, I, it was funny. This is the one that I was the most nervous about. I'm like, God, if somebody catches me on a soundtrack one, I'm going to be so bummed out because this is supposed to be like my wheelhouse. And I'm glad that you picked a movie that was not really, really in my world, so that I feel okay about this. So this is totally Jeremy's fault. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so listen, it what you did have it in Pong. It is really good, and also Peter Gabriel is the best. This is great. This is great. Well, Darren, thank you for joining us. This is fun. Glad, glad to be here. Thank you so much. Coming up next, JT, one of my guests I've known for one, two, three, four. No, my whole life. Literally. You know what one of our Avenir listeners one of our avid listeners is? It's my mom. So what the kids call her Googie, I call her mom, Mrs. Toman, Goldie, whatever you feel like calling her JT during this conversation. 
Uh, Mom, you, you're you're going to tell us something we missed in our podcast this year. Let's uh, let's hear it. I am. Um, but we'll start off by me reminding you that one time, uh, 20 years ago, I think Uh-oh. 25 years ago, when you Uh-oh. were on a, on a drive to California, I said, you can hide, you can run, but you can never hide from your mother. So <laughs> here I am. So I'll give, I will give that story more context, but not right now. <laughs> so, so. I have a movie here. I listen, obviously, to all of your podcasts because you're my son. And JT, I'm getting to know you, and you're pretty cool. Oh, thanks. So I've tried to fit in this movie. I have so many choices, and I'm trying to narrow them down. So I think I decided to put this one into um, Rootable Antagonist, maybe. Okay? Rootable Antagonist. Okay. All right. So this is the film, while it didn't fill me with a holiday spirit, it did come out on December 25th, 1999. We have a lot of these December 25th movies. We do. 1999, okay. All right. What's the Metacritic? The Metacritic is 76. Respectable. So decent movie. Decent movie from the end, end of the last century. Yeah. And this was actually a little piece of trivia. It was a remake because it had been done originally a few years before with, with Alain Delon. Hmm. Movies, a few of the actors, while they're big names, uh, were not the leading characters. Uh, one is um, Gwyneth Paltrow. 99. Okay. Kate Blanchett. Oh, I love Kate Blanchett. This isn't uh, okay. Uh, that's all I'm going to give you, actually, because I've give you if I if I give you any more, you'll get it. Okay. Five five words I would put this is world weary travelers love pills. Love pills. Kills K I L L S. Love kills. It's not it's not Shakespeare in love, is it? It is not. Yeah, I don't. I don't. If memory serves, I don't recall you loving that movie anyway. It's um, not a movie at all. It was one of my least favorite movies. Love Kills. The movie, when it was made in French, was called Purple Noon, N-O-O-N. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, wait, 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 wait. He's got it. Uh, this is the talented Mr. Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley. Whoa, JT. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. Based- Yay, French movies. <laughs> Based on a novel by Pat Highsmith, I remember. Yeah. I remember watching this, and I thought, "Wait, I've seen this movie before." And I realized I had seen it in French with Alain Delon, who had been a really good actor. So I'm considering uh, antagonist is what it is. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman and Matt Damon, and we could put another two in there, and that would be Matt Damon and Jude Law. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I was not a huge fan of this movie. I think possibly because of some of the anti-hero bits to it. But go on, tell us, tell us more why. Like, is this, is this, by the way, your favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, or just the vehicle you want to talk about? Every performance that Philip Seymour Hoffman has ever done is my favorite performance. I don't think I've ever seen him. I love, I loved him. Um, he, was, he was great. I never saw Capote. Oh, it was incredible. Oh my gosh. 
Um, so I think what what uh, what attracted me first of all I I just I liked the actors I liked Matt Damon I know what it was I was taught thinking about underrated actors and Matt Damon came to mind because we take Matt Damon for granted I think everybody likes him and we put him yeah. in good movies and he does good performances but apart from getting an award for um, what was his the movie that he did Good Will Hunting yeah. Uh, uh, he's just one of those actors that everybody loves, but do we reward him in, in terms of awards or looking at it and saying, this is the best performance he's ever done? Or do we just say, well, he was in this movie and, and the, um, the, I apologize, I'm old. What are the three movies that he did? Um, the Mystery. The Born movies. Thank you. He, we take it for granted because they're action movies and we very rarely look at an action movie and say, ah, he really did a great performance in this. We just say this was a great movie or a fa- you know, fun movie. I think that the way he entered the Hollywood scene through with Ben Affleck probably has all of us kind of keeping him in that sort of grow, grown up juvenile actor mm-hmm. status as opposed, you know, like. Had he been on his own, would he be more like to, to me? He is the modern day equivalent of Steve McQueen, by the way. Like, oh really? Uh, oh. Women like him, men like him. He's he can play pretty versatile roles, but always has sort of a grounding presence. But I'm um, trying to remember. I think Steve McQueen was more much more lauded than was Matt Damon. I think. Steve well, that, that's what I'm saying. Is I think you're right. Yeah. You, th- th- my point is, I think you're right that he is underrated in the sense that. You don't, you don't, he doesn't, his name doesn't get tossed around when we talk about like Oscar leading actors, but there's no real reason not to. JT, what's your take on, uh, and then we should get back to Philip Seymour Hoffman. What's your quick take on Matt Damon? Uh, I actually think this is like, so Matt Damon, I do think is underrated. He gave one of, I think the more impressive and noteworthy performances that has went completely under the radar of all time in Courage Under Fire which was not a movie that did particularly well, but he was amazing. Like he went full Adrian Brody emaciated and really, really breathed into a very difficult like character and was incredible in that role. Um, I do. It's, I don't know. I do think the way he entered Hollywood, Hollywood's a little weird. I mean, he kind of Steve McQueen's a hard guy for me to compare anybody to because he's sort of like a singular person in my brain. Um, But I, I mean, I love Damon. He doesn't miss. I mean, he was even good in like We Bought a Zoo. Like he's always good. Like he's right. never not good. I think he's. But I want to talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman because I think he. I have. I'm on record as saying that he is the single best actor of a generation by a long shot. So I want. I want Mama Toman to talk to me about it. Yeah. Well. well, he he was. He, there was nothing that he could do that that. You know, there there was. I had written this down. There was a speech that he gave in Almost Famous. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was giving it to the young Cameron Crowe. Is it not Cameron Crowe? Cameron, yeah, Cameron Crowe, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. who the character's based on, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was on the telephone with him and giving him advice, and he had said, the only true, true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. So my advice to you, I know you think they're, these guys are your friends, if you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. And this is, can you picture Philip Seymour Hoffman just with a telephone to his ear, giving the yeah. speech very, just speaking quietly and from his heart. And that's how he acted. Everything he did was 
it came from some inner part of him that I think that he probably only allowed out at those times, given the kind of life that he lived. Really, really well said. It's also such a beautiful line. Um, I, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like he's, he, there's a couple movies he did that like, uh, he did The Savages, which is like really painfully mm-hmm. beautiful. It's a painfully beautiful movie, but it's so well done. Uh, Jack Goes Boating, like he has all these little performances, but then he also does like, um, I love his role in Pirate Radio, which is very similar. Pirate Radio is so good. It's such a fun movie, but that's a very, that's very similar uh, to his role in Almost Famous when he was like Lester Bangs, which is like Mm -hmm. just an iconic performance. I love, I could talk about Phil Seward Hoffman Mm -hmm. for hours. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It was devastating when he passed, but yeah, so so there's not much more. I just uh, just uh, just he was a t- an actor that talked to my heart. He was an actor that made me feel, and and when he he was so sincere, he was so honest, he was so blatant that you knew that this was a a, a treasured human being. That's that's my. It, it's funny. I'm going to pick a different role of his for a quick sec. I had just rewatched. Um, Mission Impossible Three with uh, with my son Sam, and you know it was after he had done Ripley, so he was already you know pretty well known um, as an actor. Came out roughly the same time as Capote came out, and having rewatched it, I remember the first time I saw it, it was one of those like, oh yeah, this up and coming, you know, oh, yeah, this this Philip Seymour Hoffman guy, I liked him in Almost Famous. Now, upon rewatching it, it was really interesting because he he actually was a phenomenal bad guy. He was so more, I don't know what phrasing I'll use other than like terrifyingly evil than all of the other Mission Impossible bad guys, Bond villains. And it's interesting because like he never really leaned into that side of things much more. But it's one of those things that showed, for me at least, so much more of his range of potential. You know, it's interesting in in the talented Mr. Ripley there, when he first makes his appearance, you almost have the feeling of malevolence and in actuality he was sticking up for jude law who had been killed and matt damon makes you feel for him you know we because he was he's in certain ways the hero of the movie not the hero of the movie but in certain ways you side with matt damon maybe because that's who you're introduced to and you know his history you know where he's coming from and then Obviously, he then begins killing. But uh, when um, when Philip Seymour Hoffman just r- rings the doorbell and just know just from his sly way of of just glancing through the eyes and his his the tones in his voice, uh, you know that this is going to be the end of Matt Damon one way or the other. And it's, he's just he, he was brilliant at it. He was so quiet. He just came in that door and just asked a couple of questions and made a couple of comments and and that's what he did you know that's very nicely said ma put yeah. you on the spot favorite of his performances is it ripley or is it something else it's capote actually capote is one of those movies that just i just sort of accidentally missed and, and never came back he's, to he's just so amazing he's just so amazing realize that i also was of that generation where i was also familiar with truman capote Right. So it made right. and I had read his books, and so it all became extremely familiar to me. Well, listen. Regardless of what podcast you wanted to pick or not, 
Uh, I think anyone who could go from Scott and Boogie Nights to Truman Capote as successfully as Philip Seymour Hoffman, we clearly have not given enough airtime. And so I'm very glad you brought him up. Well, thank you. Yeah, he's just, every time you mention him, when I listen to the podcast, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to talk about. So Beautifully done. Awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Mom. I appreciate thanks it. For the invitation. I loved it. And thanks, Mama Tillman. <laughs> You're welcome, JP. I look forward to another one. Well, Jeremy, I don't think that could have gone any better than it did. That was, uh, you know, everybody was so nice. Everybody was so nice. I know. I almost wish we had somebody who was a little bit meaner. <laughs> yeah, not really. I, I also found there wasn't anything crazy controversial. Like, I don't agree with everything everybody was saying, but there wasn't something that's like, I don't know, something where we would have heard it be like, what are you talking about? That's not like, that. that's barely even a movie. Like, there was no... I can't even come up with a terrible example right now. Well, they were all, well, nobody said crawl. They were all really good entries, like in their own right. They definitely like held weight and they were thoughtful and uh, very appreciative, by the way, that people like stuck to the shtick and like went in and did the research. Like people really went in. It's really fun. This is this. this You know, the five to nine word description, depending on on who you are, (laughs) was good. There was some liberties taken, I felt. For sure. Couple. couple. But, Which is yeah. also in line with the podcast. <laughs> it's true. Like I, I will admit, like everybody's email that we sent for prep included a and as you know, we break some rules. So, you know, if you need to break a rule, you can you can lean into that, as they would say. Yeah, just have fun, because that's what this is all about. But also we do rank things here. And so I think it's only fair that we should just really quickly rank the top five of rebuttals we just got right oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah yeah no there's no way that we're not ranking that like because if you're gonna have loved ones come on your podcast you're gonna rank them that's what you're yes. gonna do yeah yeah there's no way that you're gonna get out of this and it's just gonna be like yeah it's totally fine so with that being said jeremy from five to one you start how do you rank the list we just got absolutely i i didn't need a spreadsheet this time so uh, but my, I did, I did quickly put together like how will I rank these? Given that I have three people that are close to me, two people I don't yet know very well. Um, so what I did was I decided to to use a very, very dogmatic like how well did I think their answer fit the question of did we miss this thing? So I'm going very by the book. Uh, I'm going to start at the bottom of the list. So for me, it was. I don't know if we're doing this by by spelling or what, but Darren won Catch Me If You Can. I love the movie. I think I spent how much I love that movie over and over again. Uh, but I don't, it, it's, it's not really a con or a heist movie by definition because there's no big reveal. You're in on the, the shtick the entire time. So it's sort of a loose fit to category. In fourth, unfortunately, I have to pick my mom's as fourth place. Uh, Sorry, Mom, I love you, but uh, the strict by the book, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's role in Talented Mr. Ripley was not an antagonist I could possibly have rooted for. Uh, He wasn't a good guy in any way, Uh, but I mean, they're all sort of despicable characters in a way, like sort of what the movie's about. I love what you had to say about him, and I agree with, like, we want to shoehorn, get this guy in as many conversations as we can, because he is such an artist, or was such an artist, but if I'm being highly dogmatic which i am at this moment that's my fourth in third and now we're getting much more subjective i'm going to put uh jill's pick of the parrot trap 
mostly because I've only seen it once when I was like, I don't know, eight or something, and I don't really remember it well enough to talk about it. And so since I get to rank things and I don't know it, I get to rank it there. But I probably would have put it ahead of Darren's pick of Say Anything, which I have in second, other than the fact that I had the Say Anything soundtrack in my Pong list. But I still to this moment do not feel it's top five worthy. Although his connection to that movie, I totally respect and get in every way. And top of the list in for, for so many reasons was Jeff's pick of Free Solo because he was absolutely right. I It was a miss on my list. And uh, I, if I'm going to be, what did we miss? And I'm here saying, yeah, I would have put that in my top five. That's got to be the top of the list. How about you? Fair enough. All right. So uh, the approach that I took is somewhat similar, although I took some liberties. So I also have Catch Me If You Can and Darren at the bottom, uh, based solely on the fact that we have talked about it on multiple podcasts and that it was in Pong. So I think it's it's a great movie. I love everything I had to say about it, but just, it you know, we've talked about it and it was in Pong. For that same reason, I have Darren 2 uh, as 4, because Say Anything was in Pong. So even though it didn't make the top five, it was mentioned. And so when I think about misses, I wanted something we just totally completely missed. Mm, mm -hmm. For that reason, I'm going to go with Jill next in The Parent Trap because it was a complete miss. I thought it was a hilariously interesting take um, because like that's just, it's one actor, but a duo. It was really clever. Like it's a very clever pick. Uh, Next, I'm going to go with Jeff even though Jeff should 100% be number one based solely on the, the cojones it takes to choose the new to me is so like, that's like, <laughs> it's just like so funny to me. Um, and also it was a good pick and one that you have genuinely said you missed, but clearly the winner here is mama Tolman Cause she's the best and everything she said is great. And I love Philip Seymour Hoffman and that conversation was delightful and uh, she's number one in my book, and I refuse to take, I will not change or edit that list. Well, that's very sweet. And, and every bit of the sentimental version of me is agreeing with you, but my, you know, strict rubric is 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 staying put. <laughs> yeah, listen, you're the rubric guy, and uh, like, you know, buy spreadsheets. This is, you don't have a spreadsheet this week, but had you won, mom would have gotten all the extra points. But, you know, it wasn't a super strong entry as far as, like, by the books. And you're you're a by-the-numbers guy. I'm going purely off of – I'm just going sh- straight off of gut right now. <laughs> but i got to be honest. I had so much fun doing that, and I appreciated all five of you for, for giving us some of your time uh, this Big week time. to to not just do the recording, but whatever prep you all had to do, uh, the technical support. Um, I mean, we got it all working. So good job, everybody, with that. And as, as far as this kind of concept goes, we welcome the rebuttals. We want more of them. And if you've got something strong and opinionated to say, we will find a slot for you in our part. You, you, can, you can be our wingman anytime. Absolutely. Remember, Celebrity Shot is always available. You can always come in. And if you've, especially if it's in week and you want to do an emergency podcast, we are, we are here for you. And we will make the time and we will record. Uh, Come hook or crook, as you can tell by some of the audio on this one. We'll do whatever we got to do to get you on, because that's how much we love you. So to end this year, because we love lists, I think it's only fair that we do one more list. But instead of doing a a top five, I, I want to lean more into sort of the, what we do when we, uh, whenever you do the would you watch, and we do, I just watch where we ask each other some questions. So Jer, we've got five questions here. 
This is the first year we, we've completed basically almost a full year of doing podcasts. We have over 30 episodes. We've done this for a ton and ton of hours. Uh, I've enjoyed it. You've enjoyed it. Everybody loves it. This is great. But I think we should do our own stuff. We should look back and say, all right, we need to category what we did. So for that reason, we've got five questions. Our favorite episode, our least favorite episode, the hardest episode to put together, the easiest episode to put together, and then lastly, which one would we redo? Sounds good, buddy. I'm going to throw out there, though, let's start with our least favorite. What do you think about that? Works for me. All right. My least favorite episode was actually the Bill and Ted episode, uh, mostly because I mean, we talked about it during the show, like, uh, you know, Bill's <laughs> Bill's movie uh, selection wasn't uh, wasn't what we thought it was. And to be honest, Keanu Reeves, I, I, I love watching what he does, but so much of it is wrapped up in trilogies and whatnot that there just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough material to work with. And I think that was actually the episode we came out of saying we need to make sure. I think it's when we started evolving to having a early in the week check-in. Do we have enough of that content? Yep. So that was a good learning opportunity is the way I look back on it. Growth moment. Uh, speaking of growth moments. So that's going to get, that's my least favorite episode uh, is episode seven, which was the pre 1980s blockbuster. The <laughs> audio in that episode makes me so sad. It's like something went wrong and it was horrible and it's so it's such a bummer and I'll, I'll never listen to it ever, ever again. I thought you were going to say because most of them are movies you've barely seen and, and whatnot, but that, no, that's a pretty good reason too. That we've gotten, I've gotten better about that. And it's actually encouraged me in like a thing I'm very grateful for. I've watched a ton of great movies this year because of this, but that episode, the, the audio is, it's abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's, let's go back and forth. So now you kick us off. What, was your, what did you find the hardest episode to record? The hardest for me was uh, definitely, I think it was episode 26, was the leaders in film. I just, mm. I struggled so hard with that. And it's, it was weird because like you put fair parameters around it. It wasn't unreasonable parameters. I just, I couldn't get there. I just, I had a really, really hard time getting, getting a list that I liked together for some reason. Fair enough. I, uh, yeah, I, I remember that being a little, a little tricky for me. It's episode 22. That was the heist episode. And only because there's just two, I, I could read you that. There are too many movies I love. I think we should actually should have split off con games and heists as two different things. And you know what? We got 2021 to do exactly that. If we want to, we if sure do. we want to. Yeah. Uh, so now easiest, right? Yep. Uh, for me, I don't know why I'm picking this, but like I went and re looked at all the lists really quick, and I think I think I felt the musicals episode was one I I really enjoyed my list. I had only kind of one or two. Should it be? Shouldn't it be? I didn't I didn't hem and haw as they would say. Yeah. There was no hemming, no hawing, no heeing, none of those kinds of things. Uh, and I look back on the list and I'm like, yeah, I think maybe I on another day of the week, I would sh swap out one of them, but otherwise now I feel, felt it was about where I wanted it to be. So oddly enough, staying in a similar vein, uh, the easiest for me was soundtracks oh. because four of those for me are just so permanently placed in the top five of my favorite soundtracks with like maybe one or like, you know, again, same deal. There's like three permanent four pretty much. And then like one flex. So for me, that episode was like, it was more, honestly, it was more pond, like going through and finding deep cuts and other stuff that I wasn't aware of. That was a good time. I actually really enjoyed that episode, but the, my top five was, was pretty set in stone. Nice. 
And so now, which one would you get into the to the nitty gritty last two questions? Which one would you redo, JT? This is the easiest answer for me. So if we were going to do the easiest and hardest questions, this is the easiest answer. I would do the first episode, our rewatchable episode. And, and it's, it's for a hundred reasons. One, now I know what I'm doing Two, like, we have a, a, like, we, we understand what this is and we've really defined it. And we've like, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but like if people knew how much time and effort we put into making this make sense, like we really are, like, we've, we've just put a lot of thought into why this does and doesn't work and what does and doesn't work. Also, I would take the replacements off the list because I want that joke to go away. <laughs> <laughs> not going away. I know. Not going away. What about away. you? Uh, it's funny. I almost settled on the same one. I was I was there, and then at the last minute, I decided I would redo the sports one. Mm. Uh, even though I actually loved our shtick in it, I thought we had a really really fun time and played with like lots of little micro lists. I think it's an area where again I would probably break it up into like four different sports verticals or whatever you call them. And uh, and and I want another. I want to talk about some of those movies some more. They're some of my favorite movies, and I just kind of want to go back to them. Yeah, I that one. Sports was very close for me on that too, actually funny, but rewatchable. Yeah, that, that's a, uh, those two are both, listen, good news is we can, we could, maybe we will, who knows? We have the power. We have the power. So last but not least in any way, favorite episodes. For me, it is the, uh, the longest movies episode was my favorite. I think mostly because again, they're all movies I loved, 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 loved. Like just would talk about most of those movies forever. So how, you know, how could you not like the, the whole premise is like, it's a, it was a long episode to begin with. It's about long movies. It's about great movies. Even the Pong was great. So that was mine. How about you? So that was my number two. I was stuck between that and the one I went with, which was episode 24, which was Rootable Antagonist. Oh, so. I love that episode for a bunch of reasons. Um, one, just like, I I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, like without sounding weird, like we were in a groove in that episode. Like that episode really, it hums, like it moves, which is nice. It just feels good. It's nice to, it's been nice to like hear us get better to be completely candid. But sure. also like, that's a different kind of list. That's not a list I've ever seen anywhere else. It's not a thing anybody else has really like approached. There's a lot of bad guy stuff, but the research for that one was brutal because it's not like, you can't look that up and then get like the top 1000 most rootable. It's like, you can kind of find some guys, bad guys you're rooting for, but it, it was very rarely because of the character. It was usually because of the performance and we right. didn't do performance. And I actually thought that was like a really, that's my favorite list that, that, that anybody came up with this year. I loved when you came up with that. That's like such an interesting take. And I want to do more stuff like that. Cause I think lists are fun, but like odd lists that make you kind of get a little weird or even more fun. Totally agreed on that point. I think uh, when I looked at some of the options we have set up for 21, the ones that are where you can't Google and find like best heist movies or best comedy duos or whatever, the things that right. are that where we might be the Google result because no one's ever going to search for these things. That's that's where there's a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, listen, uh, it has been an amazing year. It has been a pleasure to put all this content together for you guys and with you, Jeremy. Uh, I want to call this out though. You guys can give us lists, please engage. Like there's, it was so much fun talking to people. And I've talked to like five more people since telling people that we were going to maybe do something like this. And like all these people have been like, I want to do it. I'll come on. So like, this is for you guys as much as it is for us, even more so. So please 
you know, reach out, tell your friends, have more people sign up for the, you know, I hate to do the subscribe thing, but do it, subscribe, <laughs> listen, get on the daily, like, you know, be a part of this. It's a community that we're really excited to continue to build. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think the, the, our five guests this week really made clear is you don't have to do a ton of work to, to come on and have a bit of fun with us. Uh, if there's one thing that was obvious is everybody started out just kind of a little nervous, like, what are we doing here? You know, I don't think most of our, most of our guests do a lot of video record, audio recording on the internet, but everybody warmed up after like 15 seconds and just rolled with it. And we promised to make it fun and easy. And, and, and I agree. It's like, it's invigorating to have you out there engaging with us in some way. So keep the text coming. You tell us when we're wrong. Tell us what you love. Tell us what you hate. Also, uh, we have a new website that's uh, in production right now, but keep a, keep a tab on wingmandaily.com and uh, where we might take that. So I'll, I'll end my part, though, by just really one last thanks to Jeff, Jill, Darren, Darren, and Mama Toe. Yeah, thank you guys for joining, and thanks for letting us be your wing. Man.